the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officials and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. That's all right. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. As always, I've, I've got a question for you. I, I wonder if something like this has happened to you, okay? This happened to me when I was growing up quite a bit. I would, uh, I would do something bad, and I probably did something bad to one of my brothers, one of my siblings. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. And my parents would find out, and they would say, apologize. But I wouldn't want to apologize. Now, up to this point, has it ever happened to you where you were supposed to apologize to somebody, and you didn't want to apologize? Yeah, okay. I'm not the only one. That's good. And so, when my mom or my dad would say, apologize, I'd do something that wasn't quite apologizing. 
Sometimes I'd say, sorry. Now, did that sound like I meant it? No, not really. Or sometimes I'd roll my eyes in the back of my head, I'm sorry. Not quite that either. And do you know what my parents would say to me when I do something like that? I bet you've heard this phrase. Say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it. Now, what, what was I supposed to do? If they said, say it like you mean it, what was I supposed to do? Yeah, you're supposed to say it with a little more heart in it, right? You're, for me, I always took that to say, you need to think a little bit more about what you've done. And you need to think real deep inside here, inside your heart and inside your mind. And you need to realize that there's something bad here and it needs to be corrected. And the way you start that is apologizing as best you can. And so usually I'd take a little bit and fuss a little bit more and eventually I'd be able to look right at my brother, and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. God, in this story today with David, but in a lot of different places, wants us to act like we mean it. We say we love Jesus a lot, and we say that we love God, and I think that's mostly true, right? We love Jesus and God, and we know that God loves us. But sometimes we forget to act like we mean it. Sometimes we forget to have our actions in everyday life look like what God would want them to look like. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever catch yourself not behaving in a way that you think you ought to behave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. This week and every week, but especially this week. I want you to think about that for a little bit. I want, I want you to look when your parents correct you and say that you need to either apologize or change what you're doing or stop what you're doing. I want you to think about in your heart and in your head, what would God, what would this person, this God who loves me, what would that God want me to do? How would that God want me to act? And then, I want you to act like you mean it. I want you to act like what's right in your heart and right in your head. Act like you mean it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Should we pray? Let's pray. God of love. You love us a lot. You love us a whole, whole lot. And we're thankful for that. This week and every week we ask that when we behave badly, when we do things that we either shouldn't or know that we shouldn't, you help us to see inside of our hearts and inside of our minds love. Love for you and love for each other. And help us to act like those things that we love. Act like we mean it. Thank you for being with us when we're good at this. Thank you for being with us when we're bad at this. Thank you for loving us always. In your name we pray. Amen. There you go, Dan.
In the name of Jesus, amen. Many of you know this whole summer, we're focusing on our Old Testament readings. We're focusing on the first reading that we had. And so, if you forget the first reading already, and I know that I used to forget the first reading by the time it was over all the time, feel free to look in your bulletins. You're always allowed to do that. The story we have for us today is a really neat one. I think it's one that we, we haven't always looked at. It's a story of David and the whole house of Israel. That means the whole kingdom of Israel. And they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant out of Bali, Judah and to a place where it would rest inside the kingdom's stronghold. Now, a few things for us to know. The Ark of the Covenant isn't quite what you see in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> All right? But if you have to imagine something, yeah, it's a box carried on poles with two cherubim on top, often called the mercy seat of God. That's where the voice of God would come from when God would speak to Moses. God would speak to the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. Because they were wandering in the desert for so long, there wasn't an official temple at this point. Instead, they had a tent called a tabernacle. And they set up this tent wherever they were resting at the time. And even though they had been a nation for a while, and even though they had already had one king named Saul, there was not a temple built yet. Not because they didn't want to but because God told them not to build it yet. It wasn't time. And so this ark was continuing to stay in this tent inside the tabernacle. And from time to time, they would move it. Here we have a story. David has become king, and David has taken control of power and been anointed by God to do so. And in his kingship, he decides that it is time for that ark to stay where he stays, to be close to him. And so they pick up the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the whole house of Judah begin processing. They begin processing out of Valley Judah and into Jerusalem. What would later be called Jerusalem. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's two accounts that we read today of this procession. And if you look real closely, we actually skip a few verses, don't we? See, the first account begins with David and everyone in Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, everyone in Israel, dancing and shouting, and there's lyres and cymbals and harps and all kinds of noise happening. And they're dancing with all their might before the Lord, and they're going along, and then all of a sudden, we skip to this later portion. Well, something happened. Something happened between these two things, and it wasn't real happy. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was considered powerful, full of God's might, full of fear for us. And we were instructed clearly not to touch it. That's why we carried it on poles, really long poles. And as they were going, and as they were dancing... It became unstable. And a man named Uzzah saw that and reached out to stabilize it. And he touched it, and he died. 
Now that throws a dampener in the celebration, doesn't it? And because of this, David was really mad. Really, really mad. And so he drops it off at someone's house. He doesn't want it to come to where he lives anymore. So he drops it off at a man's house named Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom doesn't really have a choice. It's kind of like when construction folks just all of a sudden drop off like the steamroller that they're using in your yard. (laughs) You don't have much of a choice, do you? It's just sitting there. Well, this was not a steamroller. This was the Ark of the Covenant, which you're still not supposed to touch. And so he's just standing there looking at it like, I don't know what to do with this. It stays there for three months. Three months pass in these verses between the first time David moves this and the second time. Three months. Over the course of those three months, Obed-Edom's household prospered. Everything, from the stuff they were taking in from the fields to the livestock they were raising to the interactions they were having with other people, they prospered. They were blessed by this presence of the ark. And so David after taking some time to cool down and realizing that the ark is indeed a blessing and not a curse, tries again. But this attempt is different, isn't it? There are no lyres, and there are no cymbals, there are no drums. No, there is a trumpet. It is the sound of a trumpet that everyone is dancing to as they make their way down. And I check the Hebrew, and it is singular. A single trumpet. I want you to imagine that sensory dissonance for a little bit. Imagine the marching band walking by your house. All right? They got the drum line going. They got the brass is just blasting away. And, you know, the, the sousaphones are really going at it. And, and everything's going in harmony. And there's marching, and there's singing, and there's dancing. You can imagine what that sounds like, right? Now I want you to imagine that same procession and everybody's still there, but there's the sound of a single trumpet. It's different, right? And on top of that, David tries to do something a little bit different. Every time this procession takes six paces, one, two, three, four, five, Six. He sacrifices an ox. That takes some time, by the way. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Another ox. Now, they were going from one town to another. If I sacrifice an ox every time I take six steps, even from here to Biglerville, It's going to take some time. This procession seems different, doesn't it? And we come to realize that much like we do in our everyday lives, David had a reorientation of what he was supposed to be doing in that moment. Yes, it is a joyful celebration for the Ark of the Covenant to come near. And yes, it is a joyful celebration to see what God has done before our eyes and to move towards that. But it is tempting, is it not, for us to turn any celebration of what God has done into a celebration of what is happening to us. 
celebration of us. David wanted to move the ark, and David organized this thing, and David was dancing in front of the line with all his might, and David did this work. And when it was all about David and all about Israel, that didn't quite work. The thing stumbled, and people were hurt. But when it was reoriented to be about God, when there was music and there was offering, and at the end of it all, it wasn't about David, but it was about all the people that God blessed. Every one of them being filled by the riches of the kingdom and every one of them being blessed by what had happened there that day. That was a really good celebration. Did you notice at the end what everybody got? There's a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to every man and woman that were there. I have yet to be anywhere where a crowd that large receives that much free food. I mean, even when we want to be really nice, like at a wedding or something, we don't invite that many people. We're like, hey, let's cut this down to 150 maybe, and then we'll see what we can feed folks. The whole nation, every single one of them got to experience God's blessing for them in food and in drink and in offering and in sacrifice and in the dancing of David and a single trumpet. They needed to be reoriented to act like they meant it. What is our celebration? For us and for all people, what are we celebrating today? And what are we, what are we rejoicing? What are we dancing at the front of the line about? Is there dancing about us and what we're doing? Man, I've been getting some great bonuses at work, and that's pretty much due to all the work that I've been doing. Now, that's a hypothetical. I'm not receiving any bonuses for the work that I'm doing right now. Or is it, man, my kids are growing up great. They might be. Or is it, my household's in order, my finances are in order, I've got the things that I want, life's gone pretty okay. And it might be that too. But in all these blessings and in all this work and in everything that's going on in your life, good or bad or otherwise, remember that these blessings are not yours. The ark is not David's. The nation is not David's. The kingship is not David's. The bread is not David's. The meat is not David's. The raisins are not David's. None of it is David's. It is all God's. And your work, and your household, and your children, and your property, and all that you have are great blessings of God. In all of our thanksgiving, it is my hope that like David, 
we can be reoriented towards God in a way that sees everything in front of us as a mark of the blessings of God's presence in our lives. And that we, like David, might not dance to fanfare in our own regard, but might dance to the sound of a single trumpet. A trumpet that reminds us over and over again that every six steps we take in this life to mark the blessing of God somehow by breathing in and out a prayer of thanks, by breathing in and out sighs of blessings for others, by taking time to recognize God, God's presence, God's blessing. This week, every week, take those six steps. Listen to that single trumpet. See the work of God in your life. Celebrate. Not because of what you've done, but because of the God of goodness and mercy pouring out on you these good things. Thanks be to God. Amen.